Hello everyone, welcome to the Lisa Burke Show. It's always a pleasure to have you with me here and a, a special call out to Aideen in Cork in Ireland. I know you sent me a message recently because you'd listened to a, a whole load of the shows in one spurt as you were redecorating a rather huge project that you have going on there in Cork. So uh, best wishes to you and the family in the lead up to Christmas and hoping you get the heating on soon. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's been a, another whirlwind of a week, I'm sure for all of you out there. So much going on in the lead up to Christmas time, the holidays, and so much going on when it comes to illnesses as well. Many of you out there I know are suffering with one or more viruses. So get well soon to those who are suffering and uh, good luck with the tsunami load on our shoulders as we move towards the holiday season. Now my guests this week are Riccardo Serrano, Didier Goosens and Emily Iverson. Rick Serrano is an international public speaker and executive coach. He works as head of knowledge management and coaching at Generali Employee Benefits in Luxembourg. And we've got uh, Didier and Emily here representing the FNR. But I'm going to turn to you first, Rick. First of all, welcome to you all. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to have you here. A little bit more about you, Rick. Apart from uh, being um, an international public speaker and executive coach, you are an MBA from Harvard Business School, a certified coach by the University of Cambridge, and you coach people right across Europe and America, and you're hoping to coach us a tiny little bit as we move our way into 2023 today. Now, aside from this, you live a very packed life. You have a deep passion for philosophy, having studied it in various universities over the last 12 years. Uh, author of lots of things, Destination, Next Destination Go, creator of the Luxembourg Model of Innovation, the Luxembourg Model of Governments and the Picky Picky Cherry Picking Theory. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a tongue twister. <clears throat> You're also a founding member of the Luxembourg Freedom Initiative, a non-profit fighting modern slavery. You sit on other boards, but aside from all of that, you are an active painter as well. You have exhibitions. You've got one upcoming in January and you have a wonderful wife and four children. So Rick, how do you manage all this? <laughs> well, thank you very much, Lisa. Great to be here. So uh, yeah, I think it's all about uh, managing time and uh, managing your dreams. So as you know, I, I'm a true believer that time is our most important asset and we should really make a treasure out of it. Really Everything that we do in life needs to be very carefully considered. Why am I going to invest time in doing that? And, and then make the decisions of how to best use your agenda. So we're coming towards the end of 2022. We're coming out of a period of what was semi-hibernation, but also, I think, a time of real reflection for many people, that COVID hiatus uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and so I think many people have been reflecting on that period of their lives. There has been a clear change in the working world, I think, with more homeworking and, of course, the end of year reflection. So how do you suggest we should reflect on the end of year and also that hiatus, that changing in the workspace, the work sphere through COVID times? Well, that's a great question. You know, it's, uh, I think this is uh, the best time of the year to prepare for the new year. And I, uh, I invite everybody to really uh, use the days that we have between now and Christmas to put together your plan for 2023 and, and really get excited about it because this is about your life. So this is about the things that you want to achieve next year. 
And I really believe that before Santa arrives on the 25th, 24th, 25th, you really want to make uh, clear what you want to achieve in the following year. So normally I invite people to draft a plan, ambitious plan, and you know try to cover all the categories, uh, all the dimensions as possible. So like, for example, your personal life, your professional life, and also activities like, you know, sport, art, what do you want to do with your family? What do you want to, where do you want to travel to? And try to cover all those dimensions. Can I ask you, is it really important to write that down or is it enough to think about it? Well, I believe it is very important to write it down. I think it's uh, the best that you can do is to select some of the dimensions that you want to cover. Like, for example, if you say, I'm going to cover sport, spiritual life, family life, personal life, work life, and so forth. And then try to identify three objectives for each of them. No more than three, because otherwise it's just going to be too many. And then exactly write it down, put, be as specific as you can, try to put some dates, try to put some deadlines through the year. And I even invite you to not only write it, but maybe even print it nicely, even consider it framing it and put it on the wall, share it with people and feel proud about it. Yeah. They do say if you have somebody else uh, reading what you've exactly. written down, you're accountable to them. Right, exactly, exactly. It's about uh, getting, getting accountable and also, you know, like... Uh, now I have to do it, right? Because my friends and family know about it. Now I have to do it and I have it on the wall framed. And I really, you know, through the year, I, I remind myself of what I wanted to do uh, by Christmas of last year. And have you achieved everything you wrote on your list from last year? No, never. I never achieve all of it. But I have definitely seen that if you write it down, you achieve more than, much more than if you don't. So like uh, normally what I aim is I aim at uh, writing it down, make it very ambitious. And if I get to a 60, even 70, even 60 percent, that's a lot versus whether you don't write it, then you don't achieve that, that many things. Now, you're an executive coach, so you're dealing with a lot of uh, strong minded people, I'm quite sure, who are obviously yeah. very successful in mm -hmm. their lives. Mm -hmm. How do you approach somebody like that and their ambitions? Because I imagine the type of people you're dealing with, they're already at the top of their game. So what can you do to improve their lives? Or do you try to help them achieve more of a balance in their life? Well, it depends. There's no, there's not such a thing as two identical coaches. Uh, but, but you're right. Most of them, are, uh, each and every one of them uh, are uh, ambitious uh, individuals. Uh, overachievers, people who like to do things, and uh, and but they are all different. You know, they all have different dreams and ambitions. But I, I guess the common denominator, and that applies to everybody, is we all have dreams, right? So we all have obligations. Of course, we all need to eat, we all need to work, but uh, we all have uh, dreams. And some people put those dreams to the back of their minds, and they don't allow themselves to pop up <laughs> because they think, oh, that will never happen. How do you encourage the flourishing of that dream then to, to sprout the seed, so mm -hmm. to speak? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the basis of my philosophy of life is uh, built upon three pillars. One of them I already mentioned is time is your most precious asset. The other two are you need to live an extraordinary life. And the third one, that you have heard in the past is you are a prince or a princess. You need to treat yourself as such. And just to, to, to tell our speakers where I've heard it before, it's because you've done a wonderful talk that I was present to hear uh, where the theme of the talk 
circled around the story of the little prince. That is right. That is right. This, uh, as I said, this uh, is about considering yourself a princess, considering yourself really something, somebody very, very important, and build your life around that concept. So you want to maximize your life. But do you really think some people are fortunate enough to have those choices in life? I think we need to strive and and fight for such a life. Uh, as I said, we need to really fight for uh, achieving and materializing an extraordinary life. And I do believe that each and every one of us can do that. When you say extraordinary life, what do you mean by that? And how do you get from your coaches what they think that means? Because we're brought up in a system of education where we think, oh, if you succeed at this and if you do that and if you're financially successful, you do blah, 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 or you've got so many followers and whatever it is, <laughs> that is success. But of course, that's just outward success. How do you get people to really analyze inside themselves what an extraordinary life means to them? Because I think we're so full of the outward uh, sensations of what it means on the outside. We, we don't really analyze that. Right. You, you are absolutely right. You know, when I invite people to create their plans for the next year, one of the first steps that I, that I invite them to follow is really question yourself. Why are you doing what you are doing? Is it because you want to do it? Is it because you must do it? Are you living your own dream or are you living somebody else's dream? Why are you really trying to achieve that that you're trying to achieve? Really, you know, as if you ask yourself the question why three times, then you will get you will eventually get to the real answers. Okay, so why, why, why? That's the theme of today. Um, I wanted to then just um, think about how you manage your time. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your bio here. You, you, you have the Harvard MBA. I know that's no easy undertaking. You're, you're an executive coach. You've got four children. You're a philosopher and an artist. How do you segregate your time to manage all of this? Well, there are several uh, strategies that I recommend. Um, uh, some of the strategies like, uh, you know, to fight uh, the things that block you in achieving your, your dreams, in, in achieving what you want to do is identify what makes you lose time. Ah, uh, yes. The, the wasting of time. I think right. you have a wonderful phrase for this. Efficiency obstacles. Yeah. I love that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> what are the efficiency obstacles in my life? Mm, I can think of a few. <laughs> yeah, well, there are many. There are many. You know, one of the most important ones uh, that I have identified is we, we waste a lot of time discussing, arguing, complaining, thinking about the past, comparing ourselves. If you, if you consciously decide not to discuss, not to argue. You but discussion be can be very nice. Discussion in itself can be a wonderful thing. Discussion can be a wonderful thing if, if you really want to get something out of the exercise of discussing. So if you consciously decide, I want to get something out of this uh, debate, of course, it's very rich. But, you know, in our daily life, we are frequently confronted with little uh, discussions that are highly unproductive especially at work. Think of the times that you discuss with your boss or with your peers. Think of the time you spend trying to convince them that you are right and that what they are proposing is not the right solution. Think of all that time. And most of the times, 
it, it ends up, you know, we, we end up uh, doing what the boss says anyway, or, or, or somebody else imposes their ideas. If you simply identify those discussions before you get really engaged into them and, and you pull yourself out of them, you will be surprised how much, how many hours, literally per year, you will be saving. <laughs> and the same goes for complaining. You know, we we complain a lot about many things. Yeah, well, um, some people do. That's true. <laughs> Let's be diplomatic about this. Although I must say, when it comes to chatting, because I do a lot of work from home, mm. I really value that just general, not not negative discussion, but the happy chat and the friendship that you can develop in an office. That, let's say, over the water cooler or coffee machine chat. I think yeah. that can be very productive. That is very productive. And that is also uh, beautiful uh, from a human perspective. So if you are extracting value out of that discussion or, or out of that chat or out of that conversation, of course, nurture it, do, do it more. The point is, identify the things that really are unproductive, the things that are really taking you nowhere or that are distracting you from your main objective, from your dreams. Like, I, I keep using the word dreams because that's that's the, the really the real substance here. Yeah, and actually just to, to go back to your own background, mm -hmm. I didn't mention that, but you're actually originally from Mexico. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about your journey from Mexico to Harvard, let's say. That's not a common route. Uh, well, you, you know, um, since I was uh, since I was very very small, my my dad uh, pushed me to to go and study in the states to to go for a big diploma in the U.S. So uh, my my parents are both from an academic background and people who study a lot. So it yeah. was in your blood. It was a little bit in my yeah, in my blood, and I I, I love studying. So I I always try to keep myself uh, you know learning something and. Uh, But you got there on a scholarship, I believe. I got there on a couple of scholarships, yeah, because HBS can be very, very expensive, as you know. So I was there on a scholarship by the Organization of American States and another one by the CONACYT, which is the research institute down in Mexico, yeah. And what were the most valuable lessons you learned from that very famous, prestigious Harvard MBA? Well, I think the most important one is um, that, um, well, you know, this is going to sound repetitive, but that you need to fight for your dreams, that you really need to strive and create, as I said, a, an extraordinary life that really is uh, enriching and that really makes you um, as, as much um, satisfied as possible and that you can contribute to society, to the world, that you can... You can make an impact uh, on the world. The, the The motto of the school is we educate leaders who make a difference in the world. And that's, I guess, what uh, what is the most important thing to learn there. And going out into the world then as these educated leaders to make a difference in the world, you are an elite bunch who've had opportunities to get to that level through parental influence or various uh, societal influences. How do you reach out to those who may never have even heard of that? you know, to be able to make a difference into their lives? I, I think it's all about self-awareness. So you need to realize the place that you have in the world. Uh, where do you stand in this very moment? So is, there's no need to look at the past. Just, just look at yourself today, regardless of your position, your education, your money, your even your health. Just accept yourself as you are right now and identify what you want to achieve in your life and just go for it. Just go for it with love, with passion. Thank you. So with that, then, 
where can we get the additional energy and strength so that we can be more effective as we move into 2023? Okay, there are uh, several strategies also there. Uh, identify the things that you love the most and try to try to do them as frequently as possible. First thing. Second thing, identify the people who give you energy. We all have people who give us energy and people who drain energy from us. So identify the first group and frequent them more. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Excellent. <laughs> really important. Yeah. And the third? Well, uh, the third <laughs> is uh, the third is uh, about identifying what um, what uh, again uh, consumes energy from you. What are the situations that uh, put you under stress? That uh, make you think negatively. That make you think uh, of uh, negative comparisons with other people. That uh, drain you and bring you to the past. Why have I not done that? What if I had done that? No, for, forget about all that. Just just get rid of all that luggage. It's, it doesn't give you anything. Just look forward. Well, there are wonderful philosophical thoughts. Um, and I, I'm just thinking uh, then when it comes to life in itself, we don't always have the option to avoid negative situations. Uh, life is hard for everybody, actually. If you talk to anybody, everybody will experience hardships in life, whoever they are. It's absolutely inevitable. So how do you face those with courage? Because you have to go through them. You can't sidestep them sometimes. Absolutely. The, w my advice there is tackle them as milestones. So if you're confronting a, a negative situation, try to think of it as something that will will be over at a certain moment. So just look at it as a, um, a milestone that you have in front of you. You need to do it. You need to face it. Just go through it, go through the pain, but understand and realize that that's not the real you. So you are not condemned or doomed to that situation. This is just going to pass and you need to go through it. Yes, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost suffering, but just remind yourself, this is not forever. This is going to be finished. Again, a wonderful uh, way to think about those dark clouds of life. I know that you think about and use the Ikigai, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the Japanese diagram and their wisdom, which can help us think about our maximum potential. So describe to those who haven't seen one of these Ikigai diagrams. What does it look like and uh, what's the purpose of it? Right. Well, you know, this was born as part of the, uh, as part of the Japanese um, revolution uh, after World War II to become uh, an industrial superpower and all the uh, all the developments that they that they produce uh, between the 60s and the 80s more or less so the ikigai diagram which you can you can google and and see it graphically because it would help to see it graphically is basically four circles that you need to identify they say uh, what do you love what the world needs what you can be paid for and what you are good at. And then try to identify the intersections of that and map into those four circles the things that you do, the things that the world would pay for, the things that you are uh, good at, etc. And then you will identify where the, where the circles cross. That's where you want to focus, to try to do as much as possible of the things that you love, but also as much as possible of the things that contribute to the world and generate you money. 
Well, yeah, I think uh, I will try to put a link to <laughs> an ikigai model that we can find yeah. on Google. I know what it is and I have I have a book on it and uh, I just need to fill in the uh, the circles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I do it a little bit more organically, but I should write it down and put it up on a frame and, and make sure I'm accountable to other people around me. Mm. Um I now want to just chat about uh, some of the books uh, and other things that you've published. So, uh, the Luxembourg model of innovation, what does that look like to you? Well, that's a very simple uh, framework. It's a, it's a, diag- uh, it's a diagram uh, with... Um, like, um, like, um, like a diagram with seven... I call them seven diamonds. And uh, you basically go analyzing your organization. It could be a company, but also could be a nonprofit, could be uh, an organization, whatever. And you go around the uh, the innovation circle to see whether you are being in- innovative in every aspect of uh, of your work. Like, for example, are you innovating uh, w- with your clients? Are you innovating with your suppliers? Have you uh, embedded innovation in the way you evaluate your people? Have you embedded innovation in the way uh, you pay your people uh, at year end with the bonuses and so? And why is innovation in those seven diamonds so important? Because sometimes people like uh, tradition and routine and they feel a security in what they can hold on to. Well, if you uh, think of the many companies that at some point were uh, at the top of their industries, and you think how many have disappeared, you know, from Nokia to Netscape, from Encyclopedia Britannica to, you know, there are many companies who simply disappeared because at some point somebody was more innovative than them. So I think we should all the time be reinventing ourselves. You should all, all the time be checking uh, what the competitors are doing, what other people are doing in, in, in your same uh, area of competence and see if and how they could uh, eat your lunch. So you need to be innovative. That's uh, that's the way I see the world. And and also because otherwise it's just boring, right? And how do you train your uh, coaches to be innovative in their minds? I assume they would be anyhow if they're at the top of their game, but uh, how do you encourage that further? Uh, well, basically challenging them to break uh, preconceptions and, and ideas, trying to make them, uh, uh, you know, face uh, the tough questions of what they believe, what their beliefs are, what their, um, uh, you know, we all carry like all luggage uh, and we all tell ourselves some little or sometimes big lies. And we need to just face them, just just face them and say, why am I doing this? Again, is, this is back to the why, 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 right? <laughs> the why, why, why. You're going to have to make a song out of this or uh, yeah. paint it or something. Exactly. Now, this is, this is my favorite one. I know this comes from Harvard. The picky, picky, cherry picking theory. Please enlarge. Okay, well, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one of my, uh, I think, my most um, serious research, despite of the name. Um, I have been uh, working on this theory for several years and I have gathered uh, information. So I've done research in terms of numbers of people answering service and so. And the theory has even been presented at the Harvard Business School by, by other people, n- not by myself, but the, by other people. It's, it's basically a theory to verify whether you are with the right love partner or not. <laughs> This is a dangerous and, thing to go down, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and also to potentially help you find uh, an ideal partner, love partner, that is. Uh, At the beginning, or should you kind of revisit this through the course of a marriage? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, if you if you get married, you have passed your candidate uh, through the theory. They've gone through the test. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, you you have uh, you know you have uh, verified all the all the the ten cherries. You know, the theory is built uh, 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 around ten cherries. Five of them are just like uh, self-awareness and observation-like, and five of them are actions that I invite you to, to take. And if you follow the 10 cherries, I believe, of course, it's a theory, it's not, it's not a, you know, perfect science, but I believe that the chances of you ending up with, a, with the right love partner are really maximized. And you've done this in practice. I have indeed. <laughs> I have indeed, and I invite people to, to follow it, and I invite many of my coaches And we have pretty good results. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> And any divorces? <laughs> Let's not go down that route. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to philosophy instead. Um, over the last 12 years, you've added philosophy to your life. Yes. So where has this uh, love come from? Because it really is a passion of yours. Yeah, it is a passion. So I have always uh, loved um, uh, humanities in general. And philosophy for me is at the center of everything. So philosophy for me is the most important science of them all. Uh, you know, it's very simple. It's, it's asking yourself the three most important questions in life. And those are, who am I? What am I doing here? What am I allowed to do? And, and, and what can I know? So two of them are, are together. But uh, it's just asking the most fundamental questions. And... And uh, it's just about really asking ourselves, what am I doing in this world? What do I want to achieve? You know, uh, one day we will all die. That's the only thing we know for sure. For sure. So um, as Heidegger used to say, think of your death and imagine the number of days that you have between this very moment and that death. So what do you want to achieve in those days? And then when you start asking about the, the meaning of life, the reasons why you are here, uh, why do you believe what you believe in, etc. These are the real important questions, you know. Not getting done what um, your organization wants or what uh, your bank account requires or, what you know, buying the stuff that everybody buys. And so the real questions of life is, who is Lisa? What is Lisa doing here? Why is she here on Earth? <laughs> and why do you want to achieve, right? Those Don't put me on the real spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do think about those things uh, from time to time. <laughs> no, I, I do. I actually really do think about these. And I, um, I, uh, I know about these charts that you build about what's urgent, what needs to be done. Um, you know, there's all sorts of various charts and diagrams you can have. I mm -hmm. pretty much don't finish any of them. But <laughs> well, that's okay, but you're, 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 you're trying. The important I'm thing trying. is to I'm keep trying, trier. to keep doing it, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, nobody is perfect. And I, I of course, I am the, the least perfect person on earth. But if you keep trying, the point is that if you try, you will probably achieve 60%. But that's much more than if you don't try. That, yeah. That's the point of it. So the point is not trying to be perfect. The point is trying to accomplish. The point is trying to materialize the things that you want to do in life. Two things there. How do you feel about just resting 
and relaxing. Resting and relaxing is super important. It's so important <laughs> that you need to put it in your plan. Just, just wondering if you have any time to you, just you, you chill. Must, well, you must have time for that. And, and, and also other passions, whatever other pleasures of life that you can think of. Uh, schedule that. Put that in, in your agenda. And then just thinking about those big, deep questions when it comes to the day-to-day grind that so many people do face. Um, how would you plan your time in a day or suggest to somebody listening as we move into 2023, where should they and how often should they think about those big questions on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? Should they revisit them? What's your your suggestions? Well, that's a, that's a very that's a very good question. Let me let me you, you're asking me two questions in one. So first one, there are two key moments in the week for me: Friday afternoon and Sunday evening. Uh, I use Sunday evening, and I invite people to do this. I I use Sunday evening to think about the working week ahead. So sit down for some minutes on sun, Sunday evening, and Think of the week that you have ahead of you and try to plan uh, what do you really want to achieve. Not what is in your calendar, but what do you want to achieve, which might not be the same, but take some time in, in the evening on, on of Sunday so that on Monday you kick off the week right on, you start, you don't waste time. And the same thing goes for Friday's afternoon. Friday afternoon at the earliest possible time for you, say, for example, I'm going to say 4 p.m., for example, if you shut down your professional activities at, at 4 p.m. On, on Friday, before running to some other activity, sit down for a while, write down do uh, a to-do list things of what you want to achieve that weekend. And I, I don't mean cleaning the house or doing the laundry, <laughs> because that's stuff you will do anyway. You want to put there the, the nice, beautiful things that you want to achieve in that uh, weekend. And that could include, for example, two hours of re- just relaxing or two hours of uh, watching the football match or, you know, two hours with my daughter. Uh, but put that in a list on a Friday afternoon and then commit to doing most of them in that weekend. That's uh, my recommendation. And then to your second question about when to think of life, also schedule some time for that. Put that th- some time for that. Well, that's a lot of uh, work we have ahead of us before <laughs> the end of the year. So the why, 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 the being held accountable, frame that. Uh, but it's a lovely thing to do as well and to reflect back. And a lot of people do it in their minds. Some people don't do it at all. So let's put out a request there that all mm-hmm. of our listeners can fly into 2023 with some great ambitions ahead. Well, you're going to stay with us and you're going to, uh, you know, jump in, I'm sure, uh, as okay. I turn to my next two guests. But uh, thank Rick, you very much. thank you so much for your wonderful expertise and your gems of knowledge that we're going to all um, hopefully go away. And uh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try better, try harder <laughs> with my list. Thank so. you very much. <laughs> The Lisa Burke Show. Now, moving to my two guests here from FNR to give you an introduction to them. I have Emily Everson, who grew up in Luxembourg, although she has a Danish background, before moving to the UK to study journalism, media and philosophy, also philosophy here. (laughs) She spent the first years of her career working in public relations for charities and universities in London before returning to Luxembourg and taking up the position as digital communication manager at the FNR since 2015. And at the FNR, Emily writes about FNR. 
and our supported research and works on all things digital and corporate communications, including Let Science, which is what we're going to talk about today. Didier Goussens, a Master of Journalism and Communication, began his working career at the Philharmonie in Luxembourg and then moved to the wonderful Wiener Concert House to establish the lead and lead the marketing and communication department before returning to Luxembourg to then lead the FNR's uh, communication department here in Luxembourg. And also in 2020, you co-founded Restart Beirut, an organisation that strives to protect and preserve Beirut's cultural heritage by emphasising education and fostering strong academic collaborations in this field. So welcome to you both. It's great to have you here. So we're going to talk about Let's Science. Emily, I'm going to turn to you first of all. Or perhaps I should turn to you, Didier, because I think actually the the seed of the challenge came from you. Exactly. Back in uh, back in 2019, uh, I, I gave uh, my team kind of a summer challenge um, that was based on on uh, results that we get from a, a regular uh, representative survey that we're doing at the FNR about uh, research uh, perception outside from the people, and um, we see the results that every year uh, that 70% of the people are kind of interested by science and research topics. But at the same time, and that number stays the same for 10 years, uh, we see that six out of 10 people also say that they are not sufficiently or not at all informed about what is going on in science, right? So um, basically the challenge was like, okay, how can we reach out to those people who are interested or moderately interested in in science and, and research topics um, but who we don't get now, right? Uh, how can we reach out to them? And out came the idea of of, of let science, uh, which Emily came with. Yeah. So, how did you come up with this idea? It was you, and I think one or two others. Yes. So there was a lot of people involved, and in, also in the kind of early brainstorming phase. But um, essentially. Uh, we had at the time also started something called the FNR Science Image Competition. So we had this beautiful library of stunning science images all made here in Luxembourg. Amazing we, photos, which yes. are still available on your website. Yes. Just truly stunning. Yes. I urge everybody to go and take a look at them. Art in themselves. Yes, absolutely. And we thought, how can we, for example, use these images to both speak about research that we fund, but also make it more visual, make it uh, presenting in a different way that we haven't done before. So we had the idea of uh, adding a layer of augmented reality to a few select photos uh, to basically make the the photo come to life through your phone and in the process also learn what is this photo, what is the research behind it. So that was the initial idea. And then we obviously worked with uh, a lot of people to kind of uh, get the concept uh, developed. Some Luxembourg-based companies. Yes. So uh, we worked with uh, Virtual Rangers, a startup that does a lot of virtual reality and augmented reality. So they were obviously very fundamental in kind of telling us what, what would even be possible in general with this kind of activity and uh, whether, uh, you know, what kind of uh, things we could show and what kind of science we could have behind that. Um, we also worked with a consultant, uh, Stephen Koritko, uh, who helped us really also to kind of come up with the whole uh, concept. And also, obviously, we're graphic designers. We worked with Studio Polenta, who we, who are still with us on the campaign as well, just like virtual rangers. And then, obviously, a lot of exchange in the team as well between me and Didier and our colleague Sonia, who's also in the team. And that was how, uh, how it first started. But you have to tell us what Let Science is. It's an app that is freely available. Yes, so uh, it's now an app. So we launched an app in 2021. So it's called Let Science and it's available 
on every app store. Um, and it's a free application that is an augmented reality application. So how I usually explain it is it kind of works like Snapchat or Pokemon Go, but with science. <laughs> I found that to be a very helpful yeah, explanation. Most people, most people can figure out what that might mean. <laughs> exactly. Um, so basically, you uh, get the app and through your phone, you, through using your phone camera, uh, you get this layer of uh, a, a scientific object that is overlaid with uh, explanations as to what you're seeing, why it's important and how it can next to research in Luxembourg. And what's the feedback that you've got? Well, for now, I think it's it's positive feedback. I can uh, just uh, cite the yeah, feedback that we got from the researchers days uh, a week and a half ago uh, at, at Rokal, which is a big event that the FNR is also organizing in order to show research made in Luxembourg on hands-on workshops. And we were present also with with the Let's Science, and we just show that to the people, and and people are amazed uh, by two things: one, by the technology, because it's still something that is not that widespread also here in Luxembourg, and on the other hand, also to see the diversity of research that is being done here in Luxembourg, because people do not always associate research with Luxembourg, right? And uh, on the other hand, there has so much. Uh, different topics being covered, even though it's a very young research ecosystem. I mean, the university was created in 2003. The whole ecosystem started in the end of the 1980s. So it's, uh, compared to other countries, it's a very, very young ecosystem. So people do not necessarily know about all these research uh, that is being done here in Luxembourg. Actually. Yeah, it is a relatively new ecosystem. But with that comes some wonderful opportunities to think outside the box, I would suppose, Rick, you would think, you know, given a, a new clean slate, you can start innovating from the start. Totally, yes. Uh, you know, the research uh, that is being done in Luxembourg is amazing. I uh, I was just uh, exposed last week to a project called Brains down at the, in Belval at the university. And what they're doing is really very innovative, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then I want to also turn back to you, Didier, because in fact, your first uh, foray into the world of communication was with music. And now you've found your way into science. But it's not so far from really what you've done, Rick, as well. You're, you're combining all of these thoughts. And indeed, you've worked in different institutions as well. Emily, you've worked in cancer and research institutions, uh, university institutions, but they all combine in similar and different ways, so, but but re really the music and the science. How did you find that change? Um, the, the, the most um, apparent change was the one of the of the structured way of like the, the the artists and then the scientists, right? But on the other hand, I mean, from from uh, from the characters and from their way of thinking, they're very close one to another, right? Um, and. I just have to uh, define when you say structured. I'm assuming you mean the scientists were more structured. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> just, I did, just I did, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> of course, of course. Um, and and then with the with the communication, I saw also similarities between uh, young and old artists and young and old scientists. For older artists, for them, the art is speaking from themselves. They don't they don't didn't see the necessity of doing communication on of doing outreach activities, which was totally different from for the young artists. And it's kind of similar uh, also in, in, in research, right? Um, young researchers do do outreach activities. Uh, again, we saw it also at the researchers days, right? Um, plenty of them do it and also see the necessity of doing especially in, in public research where we are working 
with public money. So we have also to explain, we have this duty to explain what we are doing with this public money, right? So those are similarities that I saw between the two the two worlds. And then I love to find ways to, to even more kind of like bring those two worlds together uh, because I, th I think that, that both can uh, just take profit one from the other, right? Well, I personally think they're massively connected <laughs> and I think uh, music and science have always worked hand yeah. in hand. But just switching to another of your passions, which you started relatively recent, back in 2020. Um, tell us about Restart Beirut. Restart Beirut is is a, is a small <laughs> NGO that 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 we uh, co-founded with with just with some friends uh, who um, saw the very uh, terrifying images of the, the the Beirut blast at the the Beirut port in in August 2020, and uh, we all had friends over there, and and the first reaction was just to say, okay, how how is everybody? Is everybody safe, uh, healthy, and uh, and unharmed and and then the second step was to say okay we have to do something uh, but what can we do right uh, going on on the on the first necessity things like uh, electricity food and health things there were big organizations taking care of that so this was not our expertise there's nothing that we could do what we all had was this common passion for for art right so we said okay um, in a country that is very much divided, it's a very complex, also political situation. But the one thing that all of them have in common is is their the cultural background, cultural heritage. And cultural heritage right now is not the first priority. We are very much aware of that. But afterwards, this is something they can build on again. You know, to, to have this this this, this common past. And uh, but if no one takes care of it now it just disappears we have seen it in other countries right then just the things disappear and in 50 100 years people say it never existed right so we wanted to take care of that and we started and of course on a very 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 small scale at one place and and trying to move on there um it's 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 a difficult task because of course nobody knows us uh, so you first need to build up trust with other organizations uh, to be uh, yeah that, that just people uh, trust you and, and also donate money because we are working uh, with, with donations. That's the only way how we can work. And, and there we are kind of in a, in, a, in a vicious circle because in order to get money, you need to show what you have done. In order to do projects, you need money. So it's, it's a bit difficult to get your, your foot in the door and, and start doing it. And uh, we started a, very, a first project where we had, uh, had the... Um, the help of the uh, the Swiss embassy in, in in Lebanon, who said, "Okay, guys, we are giving you a small amount of money, um, and and just go ahead, right?" Um, and we build up a um, a summer school with uh, with a university in Switzerland and with university professors from Switzerland coming to Beirut with Swiss students and uh, having a, a workshop of five weeks on spot and also integrating uh, six Lebanese students in order to to pass them the knowledge and have this knowledge exchange also between the students um, because the final aim is to have that knowledge of restoring and conservation over there so that we are not needed to be there so they can do it whenever something hopefully never happens again but in order if, if they need to have that knowledge they could have it on on spot and not having to go back and, and find the knowledge somewhere else in Europe or wherever, right? So that's where we started. Well, congratulations on the work that you are starting there. And of course, we'll invite anybody 
Instead of a Christmas present, perhaps you'd like to donate a little bit of money to restart art <laughs> uh, in Beirut. Um, but in fact, the sadness is that you have to restore and repair at all. It brings me back to philosophical questions of war, actually, is what I'm thinking about. And uh, in fact, with my younger daughter just at the weekend, I was reading about the Punic Wars and the absolute destruction of Carthage and everything that came with it. And it's just so unbelievably sad what war does mm. truly and, and how it can wipe out centuries worth of beauty and works of art. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, on that very, very sombering note, I want to turn back to you, Emily. Now, well, actually, you both have uh, degrees in journalism with media and communication and philosophy as well, Emily, in your case. I, I want to ask how in these times today you can get your voice heard over so much noise out there, so much is going on in our daily lives, you know, with the amount of information that's flooding us on our phones through various, <laughs> you can go from Instagram to whichever, TikTok, whatever one you want to choose. There's just a barrage of information out there. I'm also thinking of Rick when he talks about time and time use and wastage. So when it comes to communicating ideas and messages, you have this wonderful Let Science app out there now. But how do you brainstorm that as an organization? Um, well, obviously, we we know exactly this, that we don't want to to just kind of uh, write a text or make a video always because that's something we already do. But we wanted to kind of reach people with a new technology and something novel that still stirs curiosity because augmented reality is still quite quite new, especially in Luxembourg. It's not widely used so it's not something that people consider normal and boring yet so we kind of jumped on that and we're like well let's kind of help people associate it with with uh, with research in Luxembourg at least and then obviously always making sure that each experience found on the app is very engaging from the beginning very uh, we make a point of also um, not immediately telling them what they're looking at so while you can choose a topic um, it's, it's not quite clear if immediately what you're looking at so this kind of curiosity of wanting to discover and and stay and and find out more and we found that uh, people do spend at least four or five minutes on the app when they do open it which means that they're clearly that's actually quite a long catching. time it is it is, <laughs> it is. yeah uh, obviously attention spans we know are so short so also on our other channels like if we do make a video we always make sure that we can put something really good in the first 10 seconds before people can hit the skip button it's really complex these days. It is. I mean, um, it's not sufficient to have quality content that is accessible, right? Um, we, we, the, the content, in order to be impactful, also need to be accessed, right? And that's where we are heading to the challenge that you were just uh, also uh, speaking about. It's how to getting getting hurt. If just to give you an example um, of of one of the social uh, media, if you take YouTube, you have. Every day you have 700,000 hours of new content that is being uploaded on YouTube, right? That is 500 hours per minute wow. right, of new content. So it's massive. It's massive. How, how you get hurt in, in that circumstances. And then the, the issue is that 70% um, of, the, of, the, of the content that is being viewed on, on, on YouTube has been, has been recommended to the viewers by the YouTube algorithm. So you're in this echo chamber. You're in this echo chamber. So for people who are interested in science and research, who actively also search for topics, they will get recommendations. That's true for Twitter, that's true for YouTube, that's true for all the social channels, right? Um, but what is with those who are 
you know, passively interested and who, if they see an article or now they uh, they wanted to listen to Rick and then yeah. get to listen to, to us too, yeah. say, okay, that might be interesting, um, but I'm not actively looking for it. How, how do we get to those people? So that is, the for me, the main challenge of science communication is to reach out to those people who are who have an interest, and we also have to explain what we are doing because I think it's fundamental for democracy and for our societies that science is part of that society, um, to show what is being done. But in all that noise and all that, I think, uh, yeah, less maybe less interesting information that, that also go out, how, how do you find back your, your way to, to that content that is, that, is, uh, that is interesting and that might help you also take decisions and, and uh, nurture critical thinking and so on and so forth. So that is the main, the main challenge that we are facing in, in communication, in science communication, but I think in communication in general. So how do you reach out to those people who are not in the algorithm? I think it's, it's, it's difficult. We have to, to vary the channels. We have to vary the content. So we have, we're doing this, this Let Science app, right? We are doing podcasts. We are doing videos. We are doing, of course, text and, and, and message on, on social media. We're going out to, to podcasts like this also where <laughs> being invited. <laughs> and then we also have to um, find our way also to collaborate with organizations that also already are in, in, in touch with those, let's call them underserved audiences, right? So um, one example that I can give now that, that the FNR is doing is, is the collaboration we have with the Fondation Cancer. It totally makes sense to collaborate with them. They have, they know all the people that are you know, somehow related to, to the topic here in Luxembourg. How can we work together and, and show these people who are interested in the topic or could be interested to show them the research, the fantastic research that is being done on various levels uh, of, of uh, different uh, sorts of, of, of cancers here in Luxembourg and show them that this is being done here, right? Yeah, I can echo that. I mean, there's amazing research being done here on cancer and I've had the privilege to meet some people. Uh, notably, uh, sticking in my mind is the, the, the lady, ladies, two ladies who lead a group working on glioblastoma, for example. Uh, and I, I'm sure this uh, is really a passion of yours, Emily, because you've spent time working in cancer charities in the UK. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's very, very important to to really put these researchers also at the forefront uh, is because you can really see a lot of researchers, obviously most researchers, but especially researchers that are working with a disease that kills so many people. They are so acutely aware of how important it is to people around them and also to... Uh, to the general public to, to really make sure that people know what is what is happening in their field and that they know that while it's not uh, something that's going to be solved overnight, something that they're really actively working on. And if we can show that we're helping make it make it possible and really give concrete examples, then I think it's also really important. And obviously there, probably uh, for some people, the, the desire to know about cancer is more than wanting to know about research necessarily, but then they learn about it as a kind of like a byproduct, which is also very important, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, you've made me think that I need to turn to Rick then, uh, because perhaps people should be adding in to their, their daily calendar a little moment of time where they can read certain sites or read up on news or on subjects, which is beyond what they usually do. What do you think, Rick? Well, I think, uh, you know, there is, uh, uh, as Didier was saying, there's so, so much valuable content out there that we need to really be very selective, I think. But again, it all, all goes that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a balance between what you need for work, what you need for your life, and what you like, what you love. 
and then just try to just try to make your decisions based on that. There's there's so much, uh, so many quality publications and so so many interesting sources that is is all about uh, how do you select right? How do you discriminate the the, the good from the not so good? Well, that's a very big question. In fact, Didier, you were going to come in. Yeah, I just want it's it's also um, our our task to make the content um, easy to understand and right. concise and also connected to the audience's uh, interests, right? So it, it has to be relatable to their daily lives also. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it remains something that mm-hmm. is somewhere in a bubble. Maybe it's, it's fine that we do it, but, you know, what what's the impact on, on my daily life? So that's a bit the job that we have to do. It's to find the way to... Um, yeah, to connect to the people's interests. Well, I mean, we're sort of trying to figure that out here at RTL Today as well. Now, you two have degrees in journalism. What can we do better at RTL Today to reach out to more people? <laughs> Any feedback is welcome. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> we have to collaborate with, with media like you too, right? And uh, and the important thing is to, to make it understand that it's not doing uh, public relations, but it's, it's, it's talking about the content, about the research. It's not about talking about the institution. I think that people don't really care about the institutions that are behind the research. They care about the research topics themselves. And then we can, we can help you with the content that we have produced, that is quality content, and and you have the if you have the interest, right? You can you you can help us share it and and multiply it, right? Well, and then uh, just finally to wrap up the the conversation, we've got a few minutes left, Emily. I wanted to know how philosophy can enter a journalism course because that is the first time I don't know where you studied it, I'll, uh, but it's the first time I've seen journalism, media, media, and philosophy. So this sounds very intriguing. Um, yes, actually. So I, I knew I wanted to study journalism. The university I was at didn't allow for that to be studied alone. So I had to combine it with Clever another university. topic. I, how how so philosophy it was. Well, wonderful. And so how has that uh, manifested in your daily work of communicating and journalism? It was actually extremely helpful when, especially when I was doing my degree, because obviously the journalism degree is extremely applied. It's not very theoretical. It's very straight into writing. And then there was, it's always, you know, you have to be so concise and really be able to cut from the bottom, you know, only the the top should be there. Whereas philosophy is more about making your point, making your argument, you know, based on, on the philosopher you're kind of talking about. So it was really beneficial to have this this balance, so this really different balance of, of being concise but also getting it right. So that kind of helped me to get it right concisely. <laughs> did you ask the why, why, why? Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> she's, a, she's a true philosopher. <laughs> and then for both of you as well, um, how have you seen journalism change? I mean, we've all seen it change, but uh, I'm thinking about all of these hours of media that's available per hour on our phones. And I think of the younger generation coming up. I mean, I literally have it in my home where my daughters can be glued and I can't get them off these phones. Whatever I say won't take them away from that. And um, it's quite tricky because I want them to um, watch things that would be good for them. And and some of the stuff on that is not good for them. Uh, But on the other hand, they do also learn in peculiar ways from this. So it's, it's a really hard balance trying to parent that new generation. And I, I mean, some of it is journalism of a completely novel sort, but how do you think about that? Because you would have been studying journalism in a time when a lot of this didn't even exist, I imagine. You're, you're young, but I mean, it's moving super fast. That's what I mean. I mean, TikTok's only a few years old. Uh, yeah, I actually finished my journalism studies in 2006. So um, that was 
when social media started uh, growing up so um it's it's i think it's difficult it's uh, it starts uh, we would need uh media uh, uh lessons at school i think that that's fundamental in order to teach kids from early on uh, how to uh, how to get the news how to select the news how to question the news i think that's the most important thing is question what you are seeing and not just like liking and and moving on to and swapping to to the next one right it's really uh taking the time also to uh to 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 question have that critical thinking this this, this spirit also and and say okay maybe who's that source behind it and I don't know if if kids today are still used to that. Um, it has to be fast. They have to be react fast. Um, so it's it's difficult and, and probably also an issue that uh, that media are are just facing. It's that the speed with which they have to react to something, because on social media, someone somewhere who is not a journalist is is reacting to uh, to a certain topic, and media then think they also need to to respond to that so it's 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 i think it's very difficult i don't have the solution for that but i i think that a lot can be done already in in, in schools yeah and i'm sure if we add philosophy <laughs> even better <laughs> so do you have any final words of wisdom to send our audience on their way as we move into the new year well i would just invite everybody to uh, embrace the closure of the year with a lot of enthusiasm with a lot of uh, hope and uh, try to be close to family and friends and uh, to your spiritual side if you have one. And just uh, with a lot of energy going to the new year with a lot of enthusiasm and, and you know, positive thinking. And our lists. Uh, Absolutely. Our, <laughs> Absolutely. our 100% lists of which we're hoping to get yes. 60% done. And Didier, Emily, the final word to you. Any thoughts as we move into the new year? Any hopes for FNR or for you personally, for, for the, the world at large? <laughs> I hope I hope the, the world will get a bit less sad or yeah, a bit more just positive. And also for us, obviously, I hope that all of the wonderful listeners go and get the Let Science app on Let Science Settle You so that they can extract value from learning about science and start the new year with much more knowledge in their minds. That's a wonderful thought. And Didier? Yeah, I would just invite the listeners also to, yeah, just to to step down a little bit and take time to to think and also to um, also be aware of, of of the privileged situation we are here in Luxembourg, right? Um, of course, we get annoyed by by a lot of things on a daily basis, but, but we're not allowed to get annoyed anymore. This is a waste of time. Exactly, it's a waste of time, so we shouldn't do it. <laughs> no, no, um, and especially not if then we also compare uh, to to other situations uh, somewhere else in the world. So we should be we should be kind of like uh, grateful to be in that situation. Well, with those lovely words, uh, thank you all so much for coming in today and sharing your knowledge. I think I'm going to go home and uh, dig out some philosophy books and just kind of have that as a, an additional little point for my New Year's ambitions to kind of learn a little bit more about philosophy. Thank you all so much. Thank you, thank you very much you. for having us.